0: and welcome once again to 101 George Street, the podcast from Mowbray, Scotland's National Centre for Children's Literature and Storytelling. My name is John Malloy, and on this episode I'll be sitting down to talk to none other than author and illustrator Shala Gray. Shala's books include Charlotte's Woolly Yarn, Big Bill the Belty Bull, The Galloway Chili and Saving Gracie, The Story of Cow 812. Inspired by her father, Alan Grant, the renowned Scottish writer known for his work on Judge Dredd in the 2000 AD comics, as well as various Batman titles from the late 1980s to the early 2000s, Schaller is now a published author and illustrator in her own right, and runs Cairly Tail Books, an independent children's publisher in Southwest Scotland. Schaller, what's your favourite children's story and why?
1: When I was young, my favourite children's book was The Elephant and the Bad Baby, which was written by Elfrida Vipont and illustrated by Raymond Briggs, who did Fungus the Pokemon. Mm. Absolutely love it. And I loved reading it to my kids as well. I'm not sure why. It's got a lot of food in it. Maybe that's why. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm an avid reader. I always have been. My dad taught me to read before I went to school. And... uh, I just read anything I could get my hands on. The Both of us, me and him, both would read the back of cereal packets in absence of anything else to read. And he actually wrote me stories when I was little. So obviously, I read. he read them to me. I, I read them myself. And I read them to the kids, too, when they were young. I've got four kids. So, uh, yeah. And another book that I really like, I, I look through all my books to find my favourites. And... I've kept them all and there's a really unusual book called tinker the whole eating duck now I don't think that anyone has ever heard of tinker the whole eating duck but it's this amazing hardback book sort of 70s vibe I was born in the 70s beautifully illustrated but with text quite a lot of text not just a short children's book it's a full you know a good length story but the illustrations are amazing and I actually think that it's books like that that have really inspired me um as the years have gone by always loved children's books enid Blyton was another uh one of my favorites i read everything i could get my hands on of enid Blyton, the famous five and everything and the Moomin books too
0: i am detecting a thread when it comes to books that have a real um identity in terms of the illustrator and the yeah, illustrations
1: definitely. yes definitely Definitely illustrations, uh, because I always love drawing. Uh, Illustrations are really important Um, and can make up for a poor story sometimes, not always, but when you get both together, the result is just incredible.
0: Mm. And I think it also adds another level and layer to a story. I'm thinking about Fungus the Bogeyman because I adored that book. Um, right, again, right. I'm, a, I'm a child of the very, very early 80s, so I was raised on Raymond Briggs. A lot of my parents just used to... Actually, I was probably too young to read some of his books, if now that I think about it. But um,
1: Yeah, When the Wind Blows, it's quite heavy, isn't it? <laughs>
0: yes, yes. And I don't know, it, it, it harkens back to a time when books for children were quite they could be quite serious and they could have quite serious messages attached to them. I mean, Mm -hmm. where the wind blows, you couldn't get any more serious, particularly during the seventies and eighties because it was real, you know, the threat of nuclear Holocaust was there. And we were reading about it as as children. But yeah, with Fungus the Bogeyman and Raymond Briggs and other books that have that kind of very clear identity when it comes to illustrations, they do seem to have a real significance of place, particularly if you were born kind of 60s, 70s, 80s, where, to me at least, that kind of children's story really came about and really came into its own. I think it resonates quite a lot with people who were kind of in their... Sort of thirties, forties, fifties. These books that are really complicated, really complex, but are illustrated in the way that allowed young people to really access them.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they are. They're really the messages in Raymond Briggs's books are really complicated, and the layers. There's little asides and extra bits of writing else um, in you know different parts of the book. Yeah, they are. They're really complex, mm. but also really inspiring and they got you to think about things and i don't remember when the wind blows making me any more scared about nuclear armageddon i've i you know i don't remember not being able to sleep at night because i'd read it even though it's an absolute tragic story mm. um i just yeah i remember just I've, i can't tell you how many times i've read it over and over and over again i used to read everything just over and over and over again <laughs>
0: Brilliant. I and mean, yeah, it, it had a real British identity. I know that with Raymond yeah. Briggs' novels. The, you always got a very strong sense of place with his novels, you know? And um, a wonderful, wonderful um Have you heard
1: of the elephant and the bad baby?
0: I have never heard of the elephant and the bad baby.
1: He illustrated it. It is a proper children's book, Um, but you, his character, even though he illustrated it, didn't write it, his character just absolutely shines through in the illustrations. You should have a look for it. It's really I'm going
0: to have to, I might have to post a link on uh, the Mowbray Facebook page, because if, uh, if it's a recommended book by you, I'll have to um, I'll stick it out there. So hopefully some little ones can um, can discover it themselves. No, so, care Curly Tales Books, what is it?
1: Curly Tales Books is a small, independent publishing company uh, we're based in Kirkowen, which is where I live, which is where I am now. Myself and my friend Jane Baldwin started it in, I think, 2013. Um, I, I run the village shop and post office, and she came in as a customer, and we just got chatting. And um, it kind of went on from there. We had Each of us had a book, each published by a company that was around at the time, called GC Books, Galloway Children's Books. Um, And we were really bitten by the bug of, I'd always wanted to be, since I was little, I'd wanted to illustrate children's books that if someone had asked me what I wanted to do, that was it. But I, you know, we moved here 17 years ago to run the village post office. So I was 30. And, you know, that had never happened. And I hadn't sort of given up on it. I still did lots and lots and lots of art all the time. But, you know, it wasn't a reality until I got speaking to Jane and we kind of we kind of thought, yeah, let's go for it. Let's do it. So, so like I say, I had Charlotte's Woolly Yarn, which is a story about a, a lamb who loses her fleece. I had that published by GC Books. Jane had had a book about Belties, mm. Belted Galloway, published by GC Books. And we thought, actually, I wonder if we should have a go at doing this ourselves. So we did. I've talked about my dad. My dad, uh, before, he's a famous uh, comics writer, uh, Alan Grant and before he was he got into that he wrote me books when I was little children's stories to read me and my one of them was called the quite big rock and his friend had illustrated it but I re-illustrated it and we published that that was our first book Curly Tail Books' first book was the quite big rock it kind of threw us into the world of having to sell it's all very well writing it, it's all very well illustrating it. it's all very well editing it and getting it printed these are all things I liked doing but then we had to actually sell it and that was a whole new ball game like the being thrown into sales marketing you know was totally different to anything we'd ever done before so it was an w- amazing learning experience really really amazing um after we we published together we published 11 books all together i think uh, and we also took over the book, children's bookshop in Wigton, mm. renamed that Curly Tail Books and ran that together for I think three years. Uh, excuse me, but at the beginning of lockdown, uh, things changed a bit, and myself and Jane have gone our separate ways. She's still running the bookshop in Wigton under a different name, and I have taken over the publishing myself. So that's been a sort of Another lockdown experience is running curly Tail books on my own.
0: Shall I know the environment and nature are really important to you. Why is that?
1: Um, I spent a lot, I'm an only child. I spent a lot of time on my own uh, and I love being outside. I love nature. I saw my first, the first two swallows are back in my garden this morning, which cheered me up hugely. Um, I've tried to follow. An environmental ethos with Carly Books, there are certain things that we, for instance, we print only on recycled paper. Where mm-hmm. where that's not possible, it's always forced to a commission certified. Um, we publish in the UK only. So many publishers for cost reasons go abroad to Poland or to China even. And mm-hmm. um, that's not something I will ever do. It will always be printed in Britain. Even if that means that, um, that restricts, for instance, who would have guessed that you can't get a board book printed in the UK?
0: Right. You know, a
1: a board, a book with thick pages for little tiny, you can't get that printed in the UK. You have to go abroad. So that limits me. Mm. But I think it's uh, the environment is important enough to me that I'm going to stick to that as long as possible. And I have a, a Galloway and Southern Ayrshire biosphere charter mark. We live in the Galloway and Southern Ayrshire Biosphere, um, which is a recognition of our amazing area and how important it is and how the people in it are trying to live sustainably with their environment. And I have a charter mark, which signifies that curly Books is working towards fulfilling that aim as well, of being sustainable as possible, using local products where possible, mm-hmm. um, developing knowledge of the environment and how important it is um, and I'm, I hope that Curly Books can con- contribute to that in a sort of meaningful way.
0: Not only are you representing your local area and the region in terms of um, representing the writers and the work that are happening in, in the region but you're also supporting and sustaining the region.
1: Up till now we've always used local writers, local illustrators. I'm moving slightly further afield but trying to stay in Scotland as much as possible. Um, Yes, so supporting local people in that way is really, and showcasing, as I've said before, showcasing our, the local environment. Uh, Charlotte's really yarn. she goes on a tour of Dumfries and Galloway, she shows off some of the landmarks around Dumfries and Galloway, uh, Kirkcudbury Harbour, um, the um, Robert Burns statue in Dumfries, for instance, She visits the Moffat uh, Ram she visits as well so it's really important to showcase how beautiful our natural area is and hopefully give children and adults who are reading the books um, an appreciation of where we live and how special it is um I have lots of ideas in here for more of that it's whether I've got the time to actually make it happen Mm. (laughs) it can take a long time to illustrate a book
0: I can imagine Um, I can imagine I'd like to move on to the role that small publishers have in Scotland. And I, I've deliberately chosen this topic because I interviewed the author, Joan Hague. Gosh, it feels like a lifetime, but I think it was just before Christmas. And uh, we were talking about small publishing and the importance that small publishers have in Scotland and the role that they play. But I'm really interested to see and to hear about your views on this. How important are small publishers in Scotland?
1: Well, yeah, I, I have to say that I don't feel very important. <laughs> when, I, <laughs> when I saw they were going to ask that question, I was like, hmm, right, okay. I think that um, all, in, as in all businesses, you need the small, independent people beating against the door of the big guns, don't you? You, you need to have that variety. Um, and when I saw that question, what it actually made me think of was the organisation Publishing Scotland, which I'm a member of and which they're just an amazing organization and they support the big guns their members as well as the, the little independent publishers but they are so supportive they run training events networking they're mentoring they advertise publishing Scotland has been absolutely fantastic and um a list of publishers on their website, and you can see all the the small independent publishers all over Scotland. There's Little Door Books, Cranachan, there's Floris, which is obviously a bigger one. Um, but yeah, we're that we're all there, and we're all just. I think the sort of the, the the impression you get is that we're all there, and we're trying we're trying to make a living, and you know, it, sometimes it, we do, and sometimes we don't. But we're all trying to have a good time, mm. and. Scotland is really important in in that being based in Scotland is a really important part of that and showcasing Scotland to the world as well Mm. and in a lot of our books they're based well in fact they're based in Wigtonshire there or Dumfries and Galloway the landscape are actual specific farms specific landmarks specific places Um, and it is a way of showcasing Scotland to the world and I think we're all trying to do that. Because this last year of lockdown, networking has been sort of not possible. So mm. I've not got to know them quite as well as I would like to, all the other publishers. But we'll get, there. we'll get there. I'm looking forward to things going back to normal and being able to to meet everyone and compare notes on how yeah. it's going.
0: Yeah. And uh, I know from a more brave point of view, we're really interested in helping the publishing industry sort of reconnect um, from our end. Um what I like about the small publishing scene in Scotland, though, is the way, it, and you touched on this, actually, the way it represents the areas that the publishing house is, is based in. Mm-hmm. And um, because a lot of the time, certainly from my experience, the large publishers can sometimes be these kind of monolithic organisations and people are, are a little bit scared of them. And they they, they produce these amazing books. But when it, because Scotland is so rural, And if you're you're living outside of the central belt in the region, sometimes you feel there's a disconnect with with the larger organisations or organisations that might have an office in in Edinburgh or Glasgow. But having these smaller publishing houses dotted around Scotland that are representing the the local voice, um, I think is really important.
1: Yeah, I'd be interested to know if that was unusual in, in a kind of global scale or if there are these little companies Never really looked into it. I mean, I imagine that they are. We published in Scotland, funded us to a trip to the children's book fair in Bologna mm. a few years ago. And uh, we listened. That must to- have been awful. Oh, oh it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was absolutely amazing, actually. Yeah. It was so great. It was really, really amazing. Um, and there were, there were a lot of little publishers. Obviously, um, I didn't speak uh, Italian. Uh, so a lot of the presentations were in Italian. Um, but there were these little publishers all over the place and it would be amazing to be able to connect, not just within Scotland more than we do, but within on a sort of more global scale as well. Mm. Um, and, f- and, really, and really get to grips with um, the industry in that way. That's not something I've been able to do yet. I fo- I'm focusing a lot on myself at the moment and not really widening out. But that'll come in time. Mm. it'd be really good to make connections like that and get to know other people in the industry in that way but, but i haven't really been able to do that yet mostly because of lockdown and also because we are in a really rural area it takes mm. to drive to edinburgh is three hours from where i live i mean or more if the traffic's bad it's ridiculous it's just insane
0: <laughs> yeah it's an, it's an experience it is an experience yeah. <laughs> um I know your background is in graphic novels and illustration, and obviously you've got that family connection with mm. uh, graphic novels. How did you get into that specific field?
1: Well, I, it's everything, everything always comes back to my dad. My dad, mm. he, like I say, he taught me to read before I went to school. He, and my mum as well, encouraged me to draw all the time, which is, you know, that was my uh, favourite thing to do, was drawing, which I did all the time. I... St- because he wrote me stories I wrote my own books I've still got like books that I made when I was three that are basically scribbles with a bit of writing in them um so I've always been inspired to to make books I wrote my first book which is actually Charlotte's Wooly really Yarn I wrote that first proper book uh, on a camping trip to Loch ranach with my mum when I was about 14 um, and then amazingly, it got you know it got rejigged to be an actual book, and it's been Till Books now reprints it. And it's uh, I was always inspired to write, and I was always inspired to draw. My dad writes, but there were always things that he was writing lying about. He would have copies of his comics. I could see the way a script was built, You know, even though he didn't draw, he would instruct the artist on what to draw. So I could see how the words related to the pictures that eventually came back in the form of an actual comic. Um, he, he wrote for uh, 2000 AD and for the American market for DC comics who have different ways of doing things. So I saw a huge variety of the way that things were done in that industry and how important pictures are to you can say things with less words if the picture shows you instead it's, it's that show not tell yeah that's a kind of um it's what I tell people who submit writing to me quite often they do too much telling and not enough showing and I'm really into the showing bit that you show something in a picture to save yourself on the words and mm. um, so you're cutting your words down to the most concise
0: would you say that's your style then this kind of i use the word minimalist style um it's it's probably the wrong word actually but this idea of um, anything superfluous you cut it down cut it down cut it down so so you condense it to the to the core and then you can create the illustration around it is that your style
1: yeah well i try and do that i'm not saying i always succeed but yes i and also because i write a lot in rhyme not exclusively but a lot of my books are in rhyme you have to cut words out,
0: mm.
1: and you have they have to fit the rhythm of the the rhyme. Uh, so it is like an exercise in editing. I'm really, um, I'm really an advocate of severe editing, and so is my dad. My dad started off in the comics industry as an editor. Um, he, all a lot of writers say that he was the best editor they ever had because he actually would genuinely edit and not just. Um, let things through that weren't necessary. He would mm. always edit properly. And I've sort of learned that from him as well.
0: Um it must have been a real revelation and education for you to. I often say this, I've got a background in theatre and, and and teaching people to go into the theater and going to drama school and stuff. And one of the things anyone can be talented. It's common when you get to a certain level, but the discipline of applying industry technique that's really hard and that only comes with experience and being exposed to other industry professionals and learning the little tricks of the trade and it must have been a real um education for you to be able to observe your father going through that process and the things that you picked up during that time and you observed, okay, that's as you said, that's how you build a script, that's how you, you apply, that's how you create something, that's how you create that particular style of um graphic novel. That must have been hugely helpful for you later down the line.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I, he used to he lived down in England. Uh I moved down to England when I was five and remarried. And his my stepmom Sue, his wife, is a graphic designer. And in the holidays, I'd go and stay down there for the whole holidays. And they would take it in turns to either take me to the offices, the IPC offices where 2000 AD was uh, written and made with all, uh, with all the artists at their desks, the, the view, the skyscraper view over London, incredible. And then on all sort of alternate days, they would take, uh, Sue would take me to her graphic design office um, mm-hmm. and teach me graphic design. So between the two of them, yeah, they've uh, absolutely amazing influence. So, so, the the stuff I've learned, like when I think about, you know, I don't. It's not something you think about. Mm. Where did this experience or this knowledge come from? But yeah, it's uh, from summer holidays in in London with them, <laughs> teaching alternative, alternating between graphic design and editing, and meeting all the artists for 2000 AD and. Um, Long lunches, but I was probably only maybe from when I was seven or eight till when I was maybe early teens that that mm. happened. But that was I, that's a hugely formative time, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, and I've got to say, my the inner the inner kind of nerd in me who used to, you know, religiously buy two thousand AD comics, and my favourite ones were Judge Dredd and Strong and Dog, and uh, just I yeah. can't imagine being able to go to the uh, the offices and and kind of seeing seeing it made, seeing these these uh, drawings and these illustrations put together, that would have been almost been wonderful. Yeah,
1: it's amazing to think that the artists. Oh, totally. The artists used to work in the offices. I mean, that just doesn't happen anymore. Mm. But they would all go to work in the morning and spend the day together in the offices. The, um, like, yeah, an amazing experience for me. Um, and, yeah, something that just doesn't happen anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, with regards to your own work and uh, the projects that you've been working on, now, obviously lockdown, we and you mentioned this earlier, uh, has had an effect on pretty much everyone. Um, mm. particularly if you're working in, in the publishing industry and, you, and if you're a writer or any kind of creative, actually. But in terms of the work that you, you, you're, you're working on the projects that you're working on, what are you most proud of?
1: Well, personally, at the moment, I'm working on a project called Princess Dangerous, which is a story that my dad wrote when my girls were about eight or nine mm. because... He was a bit fed up of he felt that the books that were available to girls of that age were a bit stereotyped now my youngest daughter is 17 so obviously that's a few years ago now and it's changed it has changed there's a lot more in, inspirational literature out there but at the time there wasn't so he wrote a story called princess dangerous um and then there wasn't really any opportunity to do anything with it it just You know, it was a story that I read to the kids and that was it. And then my daughter, Abby, is really, uh, who's nine, well, she's, yeah, she's 19. She's really into writing. So we decided to revisit Princess Dangerous and, and give her the opportunity to sort of bring it more up to date. So my dad wrote the original. She has edited it and expanded it. She's practically doubled the word count. And then I am illustrating it. And... So I, I'm illustrating it in the way that we've discussed, which is to show, not tell mm. a bit like I, obviously thinking about it now, which I hadn't really realized inspired by people like Raymond Briggs with the extra bits of text and the little uh, things that you notice that aren't mentioned in the story at all, but you see in the pictures and you follow it from page to page. Princess Dangerous is going to, is like that and it's not quite ready yet we're taking pre-orders but it's not quite ready yet and I'm just going to I'm so proud of it it's going to be the most amazing looking book uh so that's my big uh, excitement for this year is bringing that out
0: In terms of your um, previous I did, projects
1: oh, yeah well I, I my one of my favorite things to do is do events with kids I love doing that that's a really a uh, fun part of being an an author is to be able to go out and do things with kids so I'm really looking forward to events starting up again book festivals and being able even to go into schools Um, so one book I've not managed to do that with is I wrote and illustrated and printed a book uh, in the first three months of lockdown Um, and I've not been able to do any face-to-face events with that it's about a dairy cow called Gracie Um, and so I was really proud of managing to produce a book from start to finish in three months which was you know, pretty hard work, pretty full on, um, full colour, uh, full watercolour, full page illustrations. So I'm proud of that as well. I'm proud of all the books we've produced, not just the ones that I've written. Um, the Nipnabs books by Susie Briggs and Ruthie Redden, which we publish, are just so unique and amazing. And they're inspiring and written in Scots, of course. So it's a totally mm-hmm. different angle from the way that I write. I'm really proud of them as well um I love seeing Susie's so active on social media I love seeing all the stuff that she puts out and I listen to her podcast with you obviously as well um she's an, an amazing uh person to be uh, mm. involved with, with as Tail Books I, I'm proud of everything that Curly Books has done and I'm just looking forward to carrying it on and you know the next project <laughs>
0: Uh, speaking of the next projects, I know you mentioned the project that you're working on at the moment and you're taking pre-orders, but is there anything else in the pipeline?
1: Well, I, yes, I have. Because of, I store all the books here at my house. So I have limited space. I do have space, but it's limited. So I have to be very careful about how many books I publish a year. That's my only limitation, which is so ridiculous, but it's the way it is. So I have We tried to publish two books a year. I think I can just about store boxes of books for two books a year. Um, but because of lockdown, we only did one last year. But then sales were down because all the bookshops were shut. Mm. So it's a balancing act. Um, we have, I've got three, there's three or four. I get, I get submissions all the time. People send me submissions all the time. Uh, 90% of them are, or maybe more, 95% of them are unsuitable. Um, but there are ones that come in that are like, wow! I really must be involved in this, and I have a, a, a maybe four in the pipeline over the next year and a half mm. that are coming up that I'm really excited about. I'm not sure if it's too early a stage to to mention to mention them at all. It might be too early. There's one that has there's an illustrator who lives in Langham called Margaret Walty. famous in science fiction circles for her dragon illustrations her botanical illustrations that she then adds dragons to they're absolutely incredible she's a lovely person and I'd always had this little secret thing in the back of my head that if a project came up that I was suitable for her I would ask her I didn't think for a minute she would agree and she didn't you know she knew nothing about me I'd just like gone to see her in the spring fling and kind of looked at all her paintings with my tongue hanging out amazed at how fantastic they are anyway I, I got submitted a book that was just so wonderful it's actually uh, it's set on the Isle of Harris which is a bit out of our region but it's, you know the shades of uh Dumfries and Galloway very rural mm. um, and it's such a wonderful story it's by a lady called Louisa McClellan who's lovely too and I just I read it and it made me cry now um, lots of things make me cry but very few submissions make me cry in a good way you know <laughs> and I thought you know I think I've got to publish this the imagery in it and the, the actual story itself just absolutely amazing it's called um the marmalade cat and the marvelous cope and I asked I just got in touch with Margaret Walton and asked if she would be interested and she, um She has links to the islands. She loved the book. She said, yeah, it'll take me a while, but yes, I would love to do it. And I'm just so excited. She sends me the roughs of the the drawings that she's done so far, and they're just incredible. I'm really excited about that. Um, But as an illustrator myself, I know that these things take time. There is no rush. She knows she's not under any pressure. She can just fit it in amongst her other things, and we'll get there in the end. That's another thing, a good thing about being a small publisher is, you you don't have this churning out books, you know, we've got to do 10 books or 20 books or, you know, the, however many it is, we, I can pick and choose and take my time let everyone else take their time to try and produce the best thing possible in the end and that's what I'm really hopeful for, for the, mar, uh, the Marmalade Cat and the Marvellous Coat, it really is going to be a beautiful book it, whenever it comes out, which might be a, a year maybe away, but
0: Excellent. Shelley, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been brilliant. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I hope, um, I hope that was okay. <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> well, that's your lot, folks. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to listen to our previous shows. I think they're great. And why not show your support by liking, subscribing, and leaving a comment? Until next time, stay safe and stay creative.